Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to Fairy Gospel, a podcast where we discuss Disney classics from yesterday, today, and Tomorrowland from the perspective of a queer person of faith. Now that I've welcomed you to this happy place, it's time for Roll Call. I'm Dustin. I identify as a gay man and spiritually as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I'm Scott. I am a queer man as well, and I identify as an agnostic Christian believer. Hey, Scott. Now, let's give you a proper introduction since we did our Mouseketeer roll call. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Hi. So I uh, was an ex-Disney cast member down in Orlando, Florida for a very long time, a couple of years. And I love Disney movies. They are something that I grew up with. I identify with so many different characters and am excited to be doing this episode today with you, Dustin, who I've been friends with for a very long time as well. Yes, Scott and I actually met at Disney on on Holy Ground. <laughs> holy, the, the holiest of grounds. Hollow, hollow Holy Ground, yeah, at the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, we both had a mutual friend that worked down at Disney along with Scott. And so that's how we met. We we had a very long, like, I think it was like all night conversation about life all Disney, night. and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so many things. And it was we, crazy. and we had a lot of things in common, especially like our love for Disney and then kind of like our experience as a queer person of faith and some of the trials and some of the joys that came from that journey that we are still on. So I'm really excited to have you on this podcast to kind of share kind of your perspective that I think is kind of a fun way to look at Disney movies because I think it's really relatable to a lot of people. So I'm hope at least I'm hoping it is. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here with you today and to talk about Disney, something that I love a whole lot about and with especially with someone that I love and have been friends with for such a very long time. <laughs> um, so now moving in. So one of the first things I would like to do for each episode is to cast or bestow upon this episode what I have deemed the gospel. <laughs> and so I love a play on words. So it's got it's gospel with an extra L so that way we get the gospel in there. And basically a gospel is a one word blessing that we'd like to place over this episode. And it's basically a word that sums up what we each got from the movie or what we are hoping that the listeners will get out of our discussion or the movie and something that they should keep their mouse ears open for, (laughs) for it. And uh, for this particular episode, we are going to be discussing Hercules. So the gospel word that I chose is courage. And the gospel word that you decided to bless this episode with is determination. So um, in order to cast this gospel over this episode, we are going to participate in a spelling D. You heard that right. I said D as in Disney. It is a spelling <laughs> D. So, so Scott, who would you like to, to cast the first gospel? Um, why don't you go ahead and start the the spell casting, if you will? Okay, sounds good. <laughs> so, so since it is a spelling bee structure, we are going to follow the the structure of the spelling bee. So, I'm going to first state my word, then I'm going to give its definition, then I'm going to use it in a disnified sentence, and then I'm going to spell the word, and then I'm going to restate the word. So, again, my gospel word is courage. 
Courage, noun, strength in the face of pain or grief. And my sentence is Hercules discovered that real courage is shown by standing up for who you really are and what you believe. C O U R A G E, courage. <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> so sparkle Scott, noises, sparkle noises. Yeah. You need like a soundboard so you could like. <laughs> oh, oh, we are going to put that all in post right now. I'm all about the sound effects. I just, I've got it all lined up. So it's going to be in there in the final product. Listeners, don't you worry. <laughs> so, so Scott, uh, how about you bestow your gospel on us? Sure. So the, the word I chose is determination. <laughs> determination which is firmness of purpose and resoluteness the sense that i like to use is hercules has found determination to achieve his goals finding the purpose within himself uh and it's spelled d-e-t-e-r-m-i-n-a-t-i-o-n determination Beautiful, beautiful. So listeners out there, we have cast our gospels on this episode. So keep your mouse ears out for determination and courage because it will come up multiple times throughout this episode. And before we transition into our discussion on Hercules and how we relate to it as a queer person of faith, I just want to reiterate that Scott nor I are expected or are trying to be experts in our chosen topics that we're talking about or our religious backgrounds. We're we're speaking from a place of our own personal experience. So a lot of the things we will say will be relatable, but again, we aren't presenting ourselves as experts. And so please don't treat us as experts if you disagree with anything we say or if we get something wrong, because nobody's perfect in the words of Miley Cyrus. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> All right. (laughs) Yeah. So now that everything is neat and pretty, on with the show. (laughs) Yeah, here we go. Here we go. Uh, Oh, boy. (laughs) But anyways, Scott, you chose Hercules. Uh, Why why Hercules? Why does Hercules have such a special place for you? So Hercules, to me, I identify so much with this character, When I was in my early 20s, a little background history about myself, I had some like negative things happen in my life and decided to uproot myself and move to Florida and take on an internship with Disney that ended up becoming more than just an internship. It lasted for multiple years, uh, moving into some full-time roles with them. And when I think about uh, Hercules, he goes on like the traditional like hero's quest, right? So he leaves every person that he knows at home to try to achieve this godlike Olympic mentality so he can enter into uh, Olympus to be with his father and get this identity of being this like grandiose godlike figure and trying to figure out who he is. And so for me, I identify like deeply with that because I think that part of my own personal hero's journey was picking up, leaving everyone that I knew behind to put myself in like an uncomfortable situation to figure out the next step in my life. And Disney was that avenue for it. And then I came back home and am in the person that I am now. And I was determined to have that experience and to grow from it. And I think that that really 
is so similar to what Hercules goes through in his own personal journey. No, yeah, definitely. I really think that a lot of listeners, and I know that I relate to that as well, is like, because I uprooted from my home state in Washington State and went to New York City because it was kind of more of a Wizard of Oz <laughs> kind of journey than it was a than it was a Hercules. But yeah, so I definitely know what pressures can be put on you from where you grew up, especially in a conservative or religious household, especially when mm-hmm. we grew up back when we did, because the world is so much more <laughs> accepting now than it was, especially when I was growing through high school or college and all that stuff. And so sometimes it's just part of every person's journey, especially a queer person's journey, especially a queer person's of faith journey to go yeah. on this sort of like quest for for self-discovery. And so yeah, I, for sure. So I'm really glad that you decided to choose uh, Hercules for this discussion. And so right before we get into actually talking about the actual movie, I just want to give some brief background on the movie that I am reading from disney.fandom.com. It's a Disney wiki. I've liked the stuff that they've posted. So this is what I'm going to be using for each episode. Um, so basically, just a brief uh, recap. They say Hercules is the 1997 animated musical comedy fantasy film. That's a mouthful. <laughs> In the Disney animated canon and the eighth entry of the Disney Renaissance. Uh, mm. you, you know what the Disney Renaissance is, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so basically... It's, it kind of started around like Hunchback and Notre Dame, I think, is when the, all that started. Like that different stylized of, of movie. Yeah, I believe it started... It was Howard Ashman and Alan Menken that kind of ushered that in. The, their way of mm-hmm. storytelling, because The Great Mouse Detective, I think, was the last one before The Little Mermaid, I think. And so yeah, Little I, Mermaid was the real big renaissance is they they decided to approach it as like a Broadway musical sort of way. And so that was gangbusters or big, big, big oh, success, yeah. big success. And so they kind of followed that. So that was what ushered in the Disney renaissance and gave them the sparkle again. And so it started with The Little Mermaid, went to Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and so on and so forth. So it says it was produced by Walt Disney Feature Animation and released by Walt Disney Pictures on June 27, 1997. As the 35th animated feature in the Disney animated features canon, the film was directed by Ron Clements and John Musker. The movie is an American fantasy tale very loosely based on ancient Greco-Roman mythology, more specifically the adventures of Heracles, known in the movie by his Roman name, Hercules, the son of Zeus. Though Hercules did not match its predecessors, such as Aladdin and Lion King, it did get positive reviews and earn, that's a lot of numbers, (laughs) at the box office. (laughs) Lots of lots of numbers, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, as I was watching the movie, I could see why it probably, I love it, but I could see why yeah. it wasn't as like successful as far as like Aladdin or the Lion King, because I think it was way too smart for the viewers good at the time, because there are so many puns. There's so many hidden Easter eggs, hidden jokes and stuff. And I will talk yeah. about them as we discuss, because I think they're so funny. And yeah. then what one little tidbit. One more tidbit before we go into our, our discussion of the actual film is their awards and nominations. So Go the Distance, which everyone knows, especially now it's had a resurgence with the I Will Social Distance parodies and all that stuff for the coronavirus. Oh, you haven't heard yeah. any of those? It seems like every, I haven't. It seems like every Disney song or uh, every disney tiktoker <laughs> at heart oh my gosh <laughs> did when social distance became the buzzword i don't know how many videos i saw where they go i can social distance and stuff like that so oh <laughs> that's so clever yeah. i love that so anyway so that the go the distance the original 
uh, was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Song, as well as the Golden Globe Award for Best Original Song. But it lost to, do you know what it lost to? I do not know. What did it lose to? My Heart Will Go On from Titanic. (laughs) I mean, another iconic, iconic song. I mean, for real. Yeah, so usually Disney takes home the best uh, original song, but you can't you can't compete with My Heart Will Go On. So it was a it was a valiant fight and a a very great opponent that I think it should feel honored to have lost to My Heart Goes On. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I as much as I would love for it to win a song of the year i think the, it had some tough competition to go yeah, up yeah. against so anyway so now we can get into the discussion and so to begin our discussion once upon a time we are entering into the world of hercules scott when was the what was the first part that you started seeing uh because i i saw from the very beginning with the muses so do you have anything mm. in line with the muses or happening after uh. the muses are introduced I have to say the muses are probably my favorite part of this whole movie. I think it's, and it, again, it's kind of unlike any other Disney movie, especially around this time, they use a very interesting, like narrator, like setup with the muses to kind of tell the story and keep the story flowing. It's really unlike a lot of other Disney movies that are out there because everything kind of flows pretty well together but because Hercules, his story in like the Greco mythology, again, I think this is where some of that like disconnect for the viewers maybe have happened. But his storyline was such a long line of different events and tragedies and like heroic like achievements and things that they probably utilize that to like, especially like in the middle chunk and we can get there, but they break up like what happened at the beginning of the movie, like why, you know, there was the discord between all the different gods and titans and things. So it kind of sets the stage for what is about to come. And I think that's really important. And then they continue on throughout the different acts of the movie to kind of re-explain to the viewer, like what's gone on and like, how is he going to move forward and setting the next stage? Yeah, no, definitely. And so they were the first kind of example that I saw of your your gospel word determination, because I said mm-hmm. they were determined to tell this story with joy because because yeah. the, the first guy was very official. And what you think of like when you walk into a place of worship is like you've got your minister, your bishop or your cardinal or whoever is up at front. And it's very strict and very pomp and circumstance mm-hmm. and very this and that. And that's all fine and dandy, but uh, what I really love is they wanted to bring joy to this sacred story that they had to tell. And I think most people of faith, and especially queer people of faith, they want to hear their stories stories of spirituality through that lens of joy, because because mm-hmm. that's what I guess God or whatever being you believe in wants us to experience life through is to have joy and not to just be all um, solemn the, the entire time. So I'm really glad that these muses came in um, and they are the goddesses of arts and culture and all that stuff too. So I think it's appropriate. And I also think now I'm having flashbacks to my English class in high school where we studied yeah. like these Greek plays, but I also think they fill the role of the chorus because I think in Greek plays, they had kind of a group of people off to the side who did play as the narrators to move the story along. And I believe they were called the chorus. If I'm incorrect in terms, I think 
I might be, but I, 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 I'm explaining the things that I need, but I think that's what they also play a role in too, is to, I think you're, on. yeah, I think you're fairly close. I don't think that you're <laughs> that far off the mark on that one. Okay. So they, like you already said that they, they introduce kind of like, they set the scene for what's going to happen for the rest of the movie. They show the Titans. It's a really great gospel jam of like leading into um, the introduction of our main character, which is Hercules. So Scott, where, mm-hmm. where do we first see Hercules? What's, what's happening? So Hercules, well, at the very beginning, he's just a little baby. He's at his birthday party with his family. All the gods are there. Everyone's so excited to bring in this new bouncing baby of joy up into Olympus and Zeus and all the gods are bringing him presents and Hades eventually shows up and kind of puts a little bit of a kibosh on the party. But I love when Zeus creates Pegasus. I think that's the most, like, like one of the cutest parts of that movie. At the very beginning when he, like, meets him and they do the headbutt. I think that's so cute. Yeah, and I think it's really important, especially from a queer person of faith, is to have a companion like that that you can rely on. It doesn't necessarily need to be a romantic companion, but you need a platonic companion that will follow you through your journey of finding yourself. And I know... My best mm-hmm. friend, my best friend Lindsay, has been my Pegasus <laughs> since uh, the sixth, <laughs> yeah, since the sixth grade, and we just celebrated our twenty first friend anniversary. We've been friends for twenty oh years. Yeah, so you guys are legal. I know. I just said. I said our our, our friendship is now old enough to drink. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, so Pegasus is a great companion. And then one of the first things that I saw in Hercules as a baby is his first performances of Courage were as a baby when he kind of is playing with uh, with Zeus's lightning bolt. Like he he doesn't know yeah. what it is. He doesn't care what it is. And then even after it kind of shocks him, he just was like, Matt, like he didn't uh, wasn't upset by anything. He just kind of threw it to the side. And then even when Hades presented him with that, that deadly sucker, he wanted to just play. And so I know we talk a lot in our lives about childlike innocence and childlike curiosity, but I think we need to also talk more about the topic of like childlike courage. Because if you think about it, children are really courageous when it comes to things in life. Like, yes, yes, there's this innate uh, sort of instinct to be scared of things that are dangerous, like they're supposed to be dangerous. But a lot of the things that children are eventually fearful of is taught to them. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, again, they have the natural fear to keep them safe. But sometimes, unfortunately, most of the fear that they face in the world is taught to them. And it's taught to them at an age where they don't realize it's being taught to them. Isn't that interesting, though? Because like, and this is definitely on a different tangent of things. But when you're a baby, and like your mom or dad are holding you, and you're out there in the world and everyone comes up to you and they're like, wave at the baby. And the baby's like waving back. Like the parents will like pretend to make the baby wave. But then as the child gets older into like their toddler to like preschool age, they're like taught the opposite to like not interact with strangers. And it has to be such like a weird, like just a position for that child to like go from I can talk to anyone and everyone thinks I'm cute to like, don't talk to anybody whatsoever. I think that's so like interesting with children anyway. (laughs) Yeah, no. And I think definitely, especially from like a queer person of faith is to, because we don't know what children will grow up to be part of the queer community. So we need to be really careful on making sure that we aren't masking our fear of the unknown with protecting 
the children because we could be unknowingly telling them to fear themselves. So I think we need to continue talking about this childlike courage that Hercules kind of possessed that, yes, there's times when when there's danger as far as like serpents or stuff like that or like but mm-hmm. your body your body knows that your body knows to fear certain things that put you in death because that's part of our instincts but we need to be really careful about what we are teaching the children to be fearful of and if it's really to protect them or if it's to protect our way of thinking so i think that's something to really keep in mind too as we journey on in our discussion Sure. Yeah, for sure. And another thing too, that kind of pops up at me that I saw as kind of like a religious allegory or a religious comparison is uh, Zeus's relationship to Hades. I don't know why I thought they were brothers. Are they not brothers? Is there someone somewhere in the universe where Hades and Zeus were at one time's brothers? Or did I just always assume? Yeah, no, no, they are brothers. So in Greek mythology, Zeus is the youngest of his siblings. And this is obviously not discussed in the movie, but Zeus is the youngest of his siblings and his mom. So basically Cronus is his dad and Cronus ate all of his siblings because the fates told him, I believe the fates told him that one day uh, one of his children would rise up and defeat him and take over Olympus and the world. And so his mom, Zeus's mom, fed Cronus like a big rock, a big stone and pretended that that was Zeus and then Zeus went into hiding. Kind of, it's a very similar world as to like what Hercules in this movie goes through. Um, but he goes into hiding, and then one day he grows up, takes on his father, and like splits him open, and all of his siblings come out. And his siblings include Hera, Poseidon, Hades. So there's a lot of like the main gods that like people identify with of being like a Greek god that were in that mix in that fight, basically to fight the titans versus the olympians oh okay so so i was right in thinking that they were you were, you were right yeah well, okay yeah so no thank you for that that was really interesting i related this to because in the lds faith we believe that we all were in this pre-existence before the earth was created and we were all living together as angels and sons and daughters of heavenly mother and heavenly father and that included satan and lucifer or one of the however you perf- however you refer to him he was included sure. in he was included in all of that. So he basically was our celestial sibling in this point of time. And so before we came to earth, we were given two, two different plans. One was presented by Satan and one was presented by uh, Jesus on what we would do when we came to earth. So Satan or Lucifer said, we will all come to earth. We will all obey every commandment. We have no choice. Everything will be done and everyone will return back to heaven because we'll all follow the same rules. We don't get any choices and all the glory will be given to me, Lucifer, Satan. And God's like, Mm -hmm. "Uh, okay, let me hear what Jesus has to say. And Jesus says, everyone will go to earth. They will have free agency. They will learn, grow, love, do everything they want. And those that make it back to heaven afterwards, that glory will be given to God. Like I won't take any part in it other than since everyone has agency, I don't want to set them up for failure. So I will sacrifice myself and I will bring about the atonement and resurrection. So that way I will make up the difference for all the poor choices that everyone made. But I don't want the glory for that. I just want to make sure that everyone gets back that is able to. And those that do come back, the glory will go to God. And right. so, so there was kind of like a, a vote I guess some people say there was a war or whatever, but so basically it was put to a vote and one third of 
all the hosts of heaven, which is basically one third of all the human beings that were to ever exist. So that's like a number I can't even comprehend right now, chose to go with Satan and Lucifer's plan. So then they were cast out of heaven. And so now that's kind of how I'm relating it to Hades was basically cast out of Mount Olympus to kind of overlook the underworld. And he can't stand that. He is jealous of Zeus. He's jealous of all these gods living the life he wants to live because of the choice he made. And so that's kind of parallel to kind of what the LDS faith is on Satan, because he is so jealous of Jesus and God and all the people who chose to come to earth and get bodies because Satan will never have a body. The only way he'll have a body is if he borrows someone else's. So, right, right. Uh, so that's kind of what I, I saw as that. So Hades is just so determined to get revenge on Zeus and anybody that is in favor with Zeus. And so I kind of related that to sometimes the revenge and the determination that queer people of faith feel when they get cast out by either their society or the religion that doesn't agree with their authentic self. And I'm not saying that everybody feels that, but I see Mm -hmm. why that is justification for why some people want to burn down the church that they were cast out of once they've left it. And so I think that also allows us to kind of have a little bit of empathy for Hades because it just shows that villains are so complex, especially human villains, that mm-hmm. we, we just can't automatically code them as your villain, everything about you, is we need to have empathy for those and their journeys because we don't know what hurt is on the inside. And so that's just kind of what I got out of Hades kind of jealousy for for Zeus. I'll break it down for you really like simplistically about the relationship with Zeus and Hades in real Greek mythology. Literally the way that they determined who was going to be controlled the sky, the sea and the underworld was legitimately drawing straws or sticks. Who had the biggest stick when they drew the sticks at the end of the war? And so Hades was the oldest, but then got kind of shafted and put into the underworld. So what you're saying, I totally see that too, because he probably feels like, well, I'm the oldest. I should be in charge of this kingdom. This kingdom should be mine. And that definitely is the like storyline that he has throughout this movie is I should be in charge of Olympus, not my brother, basically, is what his whole mentality is. And he's trying to find any way to knock Zeus off of the pedestal, so to speak. Just a little, he's literally on a pedestal on Mount Olympus, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, and definitely, and that's a nice segue into when he learns of Hercules' destiny, because um, Mm -hmm. who tells him about Hercules' destiny? Uh, (laughs) The the three three phase, yeah. Yeah, So it's kind of, it's that, it's that parallel again, you know, with, with the original story but so they go down and they they he sees the fates and one of my favorite lines happens in this move in this part of the movie because they pass around their eyeball i think it's really <laughs> yeah. like gross and they peel like a hair off their eyeball and all that but what's what one of my favorite lines in the whole movie is one of them like kind of looks over at one of uh, the henchmen and she kind of gives him a nudge with his with her arm and is like indoor plumbing it's gonna be big <laughs> i think yeah. it's like the funniest thing because like it happens like right around the corner with with rome <laughs> taking over their whole society but anyway i love this part of the movie because 
they you get to like really see the fantasy of this mythology that they've created for Zeus and Hades and and the Greeks with the fates kind of like predicting what's going to happen and you see them like taking a life of somebody like ending their cord and that's really like how the Greeks viewed the whole fate mentality is that like they were the ones clipping the the tangled web to like help in someone's life and bring them into the underworld or the afterlife. Yeah. And then when Hades learns of his fate, he is determined to stop Hercules from reaching his fullest potential. And he will do anything to stop that. And I kind of equated that to some church leaders and unfortunately some parents that have such a fearful reaction to the thought of one of their members or their, their children becoming queer. And, Mm -hmm. um, and they begin to notice these glimpses in their child when they don't start to fit the norm. And so on, whether they know it or not, they start to kind of make sure that they don't reach that fullest potential, which is unfortunate. And so it's a path that we need to really recognize that Hades, <laughs> we know, spoiler alert, at the end, this doesn't work out. <laughs> but um, we just need to make sure that, again, determination to kind of mold someone into your view is actually smothering their potential. And if they stay true to who they are, your your plans aren't going to work out for them anyways. And you're just going to damage that relationship between between you and the person that you you are loving. So just let them act more like the adoptive parents of Hercules, which we're going to get into in a, in a couple seconds. But before we get into kind of, I know we've just barely touched the tip of the iceberg of this movie. Uh, let's take a, a short break. Welcome back from the break. You're listening to Fairy Gospel, and Scott and I have been discussing Hercules through the perspective of a queer person of faith. And so, again, we're just barely at uh, Hades learning of Hercules' destiny. But anyway, so now, how does he try to first snuff out Hercules? What's his original plan? So, yeah, his original plan is basically he is going to give him a potion to turn him into a human and he gives his henchmen this task to go out and basically give Hercules this bottle of potion to turn him into a human. And then from there, the henchmen are meant to end Hercules's life. That's kind of the, the next step yeah, <laughs> in no, this yeah. movie. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I saw him not finishing that entire drink and therefore right. re- retaining his godlike strength. So thank his lucky stars. <laughs> Those are the lyrics in there too. Um, I equated it to no matter how determined people are to change us, we will always retain who we really are at our core. So There's always that little ounce left inside of us. Like no matter what you do to like change, there's always that piece inside of you that's always going to be that person you were meant to be. And and it and that because and so it's kind of like a control aspect too is like people can only control so much of what goes in our lives. We have the full control. So even though people try as much as they can to snuff out our potential, that little bit that's left in us, we have the choice on whether to continue to encourage and grow that potential and kind of undo what others had done to us, or we can ignore it and go down that road. So I, I really encourage everyone to nurture that last little bit of your true self if you feel like others have started to try to smother it out and to remember that 
you are in control of your your destiny and you're in control of what makes you you just like hercules is able to once he learns his true his true uh course in life he's able to then begin nurture it rather than saying oh well I guess I'll never see my true parents again. <laughs> right. Decide to go on his her- hero's journey. But before we get into the hero's journey, he shows his childlike courage again by fighting those poisonous serpents. And that's basically how his parents kind of learn that there's something special about him. And rather than be fearful of that, it seems like in the next scene that we see that they've kind of encouraged it as much as they could up to this point. So Hercules grows up. And he goes to the village. Uh, what happens when he gets to that that village? So he goes to the village and he's trying to get his crop sold in the mall. I think that's what that was back in the day, like a little bazaar or mall. I think that's where the mall term comes from, was from the Greek. And he sees some people playing with a Frisbee and he goes to get it. And he kind of like just completely goes a little overboard with how he uh, retrieves that Frisbee and kind of showing off again that like superhuman strength that'd be a little bit unnerving to the people around him. Again, his parents are like very accepting of his strengths, but they know that like it may be a little overwhelming for the people around him. So you can kind of definitely like sense the like fear in himself of like, showing that a little bit and that's something i think with me being a queer man and i'm sure dustin maybe you've also felt this way too but like i know that i have things that i like enjoy like music and art and dancing and going to shows and broadway and that might come off to people who don't know me as like a very flamboyant thing and when i was younger i would be very insecure about it and be like you know this is something that i can't like showcase to anybody and I would go home and my parents would be very accepting of it and like encourage me to like continue to be interested in those things, even though they may not be the most like accepted things by like my peer group and, and everything. And I think that is like really important with Hercules' storyline is that his parents really never tell him like, no, don't do that. Like his human parents, they are very encouraging and like getting him to like move forward with his life and to like accept his strength. Yeah, definitely. And him being ridiculed in the town, I think is very relatable to us as queer men or queer individuals. And then also as queer people of faith too, because sometimes we get it from both sides, from our congregations or our spiritual family and from the people of the world, because the people of the world are like, or our queer community, they're like, why would you be religious? Why would you believe in something that like this? Why would you be a part of some some organization that hates you? And then the uh, congregation or our spiritual place is like, God hates you or not necessarily, well, some places say that, but God thinks that you need to obey this, this and that, and you aren't worthy as love if you don't. And that, of course, is not true. <laughs> God loves us for who right. we are, R- wrong, right, rough edges and all. I really admire that the courage and the determination of his adoptive parents, what they showed in accepting him and protecting him. And then when he reached an age that it was like a breaking point and they're like, you know what, Uh, we need to show our acceptance for him and kind of let him know that. In, not in spite of, but in addition to his differences, um, that was really what I think encouraged him to then go on his hero journey. And uh, he thanked his his family for being loving, but he he knew that it was time for him to figure out some things on him by himself. And I think that's what a lot of queer individuals do. They need to 
when they've outgrown their hometowns, they need to go find themselves without the protection of that small bubble. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. So then he gets to the Temple of Zeus and he gets mm-hmm. reunited with his his father. What does he learn when he gets to Zeus about his 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 lineage and and what he needs to do to reach his fullest potential? Yeah. So I think this really like is the the like setting off point for Hercules. I think that we've spent a lot of the first part of the movie like understanding the dynamic of the characters. But then he gets to this point with Zeus where he figures out like his true identity, which again, I think uh, is a very big parallel to like the gay identity when you start to figure out like who you are and then maybe you meet somebody that you're interested in and you have have a experience with that person and you kind of realize like, I think this is who I am and this is what I'm meant to be doing. And I think that Hercules goes through that in this specific way and he's determined to go out and like figure out what he needs to do to gain this God-like status again so that way he can rejoin his family and to be accepted into the arms of his family and be with them. Because you can tell Zeus is like, I really want you to be a part of this. And Hercules, he's not really hesitant to do it, but he's definitely determined to go out and figure out the next best step. And Zeus sends him out. Oh, before he sends him out, though, he gets reunited with his best pal from his childhood, Pegasus. We get the return of Pegasus back to Hercules, and they do the headbutt again. And he's rem- he gets that like instant like muscle memory reminder of, oh my gosh, this is my flying horse from when I was a baby. And I think that's really fun too. I think Pegasus is such a interesting nonverbal character in this movie. I think he like definitely helps set some of the scene but he goes out to meet with philatides to train to become a hero to like understand what it means and this is really where that stepping off point of becoming the hero that he wants to be is at yeah and he shows his determination with philatides or phil because phil has had a hard life with all his heroes he's had disappointment after disappointment after disappointment but Hercules is so determined to show that he's the real deal or that this is his heart's fully in it that he convinces Philatides to train him and then Phil actually helps him reach his fullest potential. And I think that is a good representation of some of the mentors we seek out in our lives as queer people to find mentors that will foster our talents and our true beliefs and to give us the tough love, like tell us the things we need to hear or have it come from a place of love. So that way we know that it's only out for our best interests and to kind of help foster that within us. And I felt that way when I was working at Disney. And that's like, again, the whole hero's journey parallel for me is when I was working down there, I made this really great connection with a mentor named Craig. And he just, there was something about his personality. He was a trainer at Disney and I ended up working underneath of him. And he gave me so much like personal strength to kind of move forward. We weren't like necessarily like people that hung out with one another on a regular basis, just because there was some age difference. But when I worked with him and when I needed some assistance, like he was definitely the person that was helping guide me and there are so many times like in my life today that I like will message him and let him know and remind him about the the handprint that he left on me and Phil's whole objective is he wants to see his pupil in the sky and stars and 
he wants to like be like you know phil did this you know and and he was one that helped create this person phil's not about the like phil needs to be in the stars he's excited to like have someone else exemplify that which i think is so interesting because he doesn't seem that way until the very end of the movie spoiler alert but he definitely is so proud of hercules and he wants to be proud of of him just like he was proud of other people he's trained before in the past and i think this scene too also brings up a lot of those like issues maybe that the viewers had watching the movie with some of the like terms and like little side jokes because he brings up Achilles and training Achilles. And I think that a lot of kids would probably be like, I don't know who Achilles is. Like, no way. <laughs> that would be like so far out of like their mental scope. It's a very, like you said, it's a very smart movie in this way. But yeah, I love Phil's character. I think that they have such a fun scene when he starts the training process as well. Yeah, no. And it's funny too, that you said that you bring up the Achilles and it might, might be over a lot of viewers heads, but even like he says, I've got, what does he say? He goes, I've got two words for you, kid. I am retired and Hercules (laughs) looking on his fingers like, wait, that's three words. But if you translate, I am retired into Greek, it's two words. So he was right. Oh, so Phil was okay. Yeah, okay. so, so that's a funny little little fun fact too. Is he says, "I am retired." Two words, which in fact in Greek it is two words. So uh, yeah, I think and, it's, he all, and he brings that joke back too later on, and he goes, "I've got two words, no way." And well, he wants to say no way, but then he gets struck by lightning, and it's okay. So he brings back like that two word joke again. He's just so funny. <laughs> Danny DeVito. Yeah. Um, So then Hercules gets trained and he starts his hero journey. And on the way he meets Meg, which is, I think, our kind of like our sexual awakening for Hercules. He's really attracted to Meg. He doesn't know what this means. And it could completely derail his whole quest. But he doesn't want it to. He he begins the kind of the the battle or not the battle, the struggle between your true potential, but then also staying true to yourself as well. So I think that's a great place for Meg to come in. And also, I want to point out that Disney movies also have their faults. We know in the past there was some racism in their movies, but I really want to point out in this movie some of the misogyny that happens. I know we we shouldn't overlook it, how Phil kind of manhandles the spirit sprites or the forest sprites, and then how yeah. he just how he just talks to Meg. Yes, it is a product of its time, but I definitely want to nowadays to call out things like that because it is definitely things we need to do in society now, especially with like the Me Too movement, is that when we see something like that to realize where it's coming from and to from now on call it out because it, it needs to it needs to stop it shouldn't be used for humor anymore it's dated humor but uh i it happens a few times in this movie but i definitely want us to discuss just saying it's not okay to treat women as things as prizes as barter pieces and to definitely not touch them if they do not give their consent because <laughs> i know meg has a word in there too where she says oh he's one of those guys where no means yes and get, get lost means take me i'm yours no 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 right. no 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 yeah, those are some very uh interesting like script choices from the disney team for sure but i do think they did do a great job with meg's character yes because she did kind of turn it around she's like i'm a damsel I'm in distress, but you know what? I got this. I think that that, like, she truly, like, did, like, try to, like, own her situation. And I think that is something, like, really inspired in that way, too. Because you can start to see, like, the change of the damsel in 
in the stress mentality that Disney has like shaped a little bit. Like I'm a princess and I need help. And Meg's like, nah, I'm cool. <laughs> I, can, yeah. I can do this myself. Yeah. So then after he, he meets Meg, it's revealed that Meg is in cahoots with Hades and then thus becomes the lightning round of all the tasks that Hercules was given in mythology that Disney has to condense into like a, what a two minute musical montage. Song. Yeah. <laughs> One of the, I mean, I know that we talked about Go the Distance as, as being one of like the best songs, obviously from that movie. But like this next song, where the muses kind of go through and they tell the viewers about like everything that Hercules is doing, I think is one of the best songs that has ever come out of Disney. I think it's so well done. I think that it's so fun. The, I don't, I don't know. There's just a lot of foreshadowing that happens in it too, and. They do a really great job of narrating this movie. And I think, again, those narrations with those muses, I think have really made this movie so iconic for what it is. And then they talk about like how he's got heroes, fees, and royalties. Young Herc had cash to burn. So basically, it shows some of what comes with like getting fame and fortune. And it kind of distracts Hercules a little bit from his cause because he thinks that now he's famous and now he's defeated all these monsters that he's fulfilled everything that he needed to to return to zeus so he goes back to the the temple of zeus and he's like i'm ready to go and then zeus is like oof sorry sorry there your path of fame and notoriety that you thought would prove you as a hero isn't necessarily what that is and he says i'm afraid being famous isn't the same as being a hero and so i thought that that was really a great thing for us like a wake-up call for us because i feel like sometimes we as queer people and especially sometimes queer people of faith we need to not lose sight of our mission towards acceptance of our of our community and we shouldn't get distracted when the world decides to praise us and we need to be really careful about monetizing our identities for our own gain because that's a dangerous path to go down because i've seen some people use it as like book deals some people use it as like follow becoming an influence on social media and their sole identity is a queer person of faith or a queer person in general. And that's a really dangerous path to go on because it becomes very self-centered rather than progressing the good of the community. Yeah, for sure. And I think to go back to our gospel words, uh, determination, I think that Hercules, even though like he's a little disappointed that he's not getting from Zeus what he needs, it doesn't really like tear away the determination to continue to like trudge forward with what he wants to do. And I think that that's something that's so iconic for him in that way is that he really wants to like gain this um, objective. And I think that we all as like queer people go through different phases where we like jump into different circles and different circumstances and we try to fit in with different people and we fit in over here and we fit in over here on that like search for identity. And I think that's kind of what Hercules is going through at this point is that like continual queer jumping around searching for identity, which I think is really, again, a parallel to what we go through every single day. And again, why I chose this movie, because I see so much of myself like you know, I've jumped around in different groups and tried to mingle with different people and all of that. And it didn't always end out the way that I wanted it to. And so you jump to the next group or, and, and I, and I see that with Hercules trying to like achieve that greatness within his own self. And uh, yeah. And him staying true to himself after Zeus kind of gives him the wake up call also influences Meg as well. Cause Meg went into this kind of being the femme fatale, the trope of uh, yep. 
a man's weakness is is a femme fatale. But then she's seeing just how how pure his his devotion is to trying to do the right thing kind of changes her heart and she kind of sees him for what he is. And that's scary to her, which leads to another great song from the movie that I won't say I'm in love, which is, her Oh my gosh. Which is so good. Yeah. Which is her inner struggle of trying to have courage and face and come to terms with her feelings for this individual, especially because she's been hurt in the past by these feelings. So I think as, as queer people, we also, are sometimes when we come to terms with our sexuality when, or actually when we're first introduced to our sexuality, we are afraid of these feelings and we're afraid to admit these feelings towards someone. And by the end, if we're just true to ourselves with the support of the muses, with the support of our friends and family, we find out that it's better to be true to our feelings and ourselves than it is to hide them. And it's so liberating once we accept that, like it is with Meg, once she realizes that she has feelings for Hercules, she doesn't care about the deal she made with the devil, like literally. Uh, she Literally the devil, right? She, she only cares about what's best for Hercules and those she loves. But Hades comes back into the picture and tries to convince her that it's a little too late to start having those feelings now. Because what does he do with the, this newfound knowledge of Meg having feelings for Hercules and Hercules having feelings for Meg? What, what does he do? Yeah. So Hades like monopolizes on Hercules having these feelings and he uses Meg as like a, as like a decoy basically to remove the remaining little pieces of Hercules's godlike power and his strength. And he, you know, unfortunately like takes like the love of Hercules's life and uses that against him to try to gain his own success. And, you know, that really, it's, it's such like a hard thing with people because they want like their own personal successes and they let go of what really is in front of them too. It just, it's a tough, tough world. Yeah. And, and I saw it as sometimes people are so determined to keep us down as a community, as a person that they will go about it in the most hurtful ways possible sometimes. And this is Hades. He went right for the heart for Hercules and Meg and basically made him all but give up. What what happens after he gives up his his powers for 24 hours? He promises to save Meg's life. He will give up his powers for 24 hours. And then it is revealed that Meg was the femme fatale. And so he is disheartened and goes on. And then Hades releases the Titans. And what happens? Mm-hmm. So yeah, they release the Titans and they start their onslaught onto Mount Olympus. Hercules also kind of uh, is dealing with his own negative emotions he's kind of in this like state of confusion of what did i just do what's you know what's right what's wrong and then he gets confronted with a cyclops who starts to just tear into him and meg kind of witnesses what's going on and she hops onto pegasus and tries to find phil who has given up on hercules at this point he thinks that hercules is just too big for his own head he's gotten too big for his britches and that he thinks that hercules doesn't need him anymore because hercules has kind of said some negative things to him and meg gets on pegasus to find phil to basically convince hercules and to devise a plan to fix what's going on and part of the deal that hercules makes with hades is that if anything happens to Meg, he would receive his powers back. So 
Meg finally gets back and with Phil and Hercules is still like kind of in this like confusion because he's gotten the snot beat out of him. And Meg ends up getting a pillar thrown upon her during this battle scene with the Cyclops and kind of instigating this like hero, like regeneration back into Hercules when he kind of realizes that Meg is now not with us anymore in the the mortal more mortal realm. <laughs> Before uh, Meg gets hurt and he's fighting the Cyclops, um, he starts to realize that the godlike strength is only a part of who he is of becoming a hero that the rest is mostly in his heart because for a little bit he was kind of fighting the cyclops pretty well after he he got the support of meg and the support of uh phil and then when the pillar fell on meg that was a an example of her putting her courage into play by putting herself at risk to save someone she loves and then when hercules realizes that he has to do something about this betrayal that he feels with hades phil decides to watch over her as he goes on and I, I thought this was a really great example that it shows that when our ideals are under attack petty fights lose their importance mm, right exactly for sure so I thought that was a really great example of Phil forgiving Meg and vice versa so then Hercules goes up and he, he basically frees the gods and everybody fights together with him to free everyone and to then destroy the Titans, all that stuff. And so I thought that was a great example of showing that it takes more than one person to fight for a cause. It needs the entire community. Yes, Hercules was the catalyst to get things done, but it took all of the gods to win over that war on Mount Olympus. Right. Like, we aren't in this fight alone. We have each other. We have our groups that we're involved with. Like, I know for you, Dustin, you really rely on, like, your small group of churchgoers that you uh, meet up with on a regular basis. Like for me, I have a circle of friends that we do some social distancing things right now with all the COVID procedures, but we, you know, have a group chat and we keep each other kind of in line with what's going on. But in the whole message on this scene is don't be afraid to like rely on others to like defeat the big bad in your life. Like you can do it. You just might need a, like an extra set of hands to like complete that little journey in your life or something maybe long-term. You may need those people for the rest of your life. And you, know, you keep those people by your side because they're the ones that will have your back and they'll help you through any obstacle that comes in your way. Yeah, definitely. And so then uh, Hercules basically helps save the day with the help of all his community. And now it's time for him to meet up with Hades to kind of right some wrongs. Hercules could have definitely had some revenge and mm-hmm. just gone away with Hades, but then he wouldn't have gotten Meg back after that. So I thought that Hercules's courage and determination to save those he loved rather than seek revenge ultimately brought about his and Meg's salvation. Because without right. that he wouldn't have been able to save either of them. And then I think Hades' determination for only seeking revenge for selfish reasons led to his undoing. Yeah, for sure. And this scene in particular is really, it's like one of those like goosebump scenes in this movie where, you know, Hades is like, she's in there, you can go get her. And then he kind of like, after he dives in, does like his little under breath, if you survive, because basically the water in this place will like kill him and he'll just become like another soul inside of 
the river sticks and he ends up finding meg he finally gets to her he like starts to go through like this old age process and hades like sees this like gleam of light come out of the river sticks and hercules has done it he's become a god he finally has reached the goal that he has been working towards his entire life and hades is like so quick to like apologize and try to make right what he said, you know, about other past issues and arguments and try to make deals with him because he's realized that Hercules is someone he can't mess with, that he's unstoppable when he puts his mind to it, when he, you know, is determined to achieve something, when he has the courage to go after what he wants. You know, he really puts forth all those all those characteristics and will do what he wants and he and Hades knows that he's about to get into some big trouble (laughs) (laughs) once once Zeus realizes what's happened yeah yeah definitely and so then Hades gets basically sucker punched well not sucker punched like uppercut into the the river and that's that's the last we see of him and then Hercules goes back up to Mount Olympus and he's welcomed home with open arms but then he realizes that what he truly wants has changed he wants to be with the one he loves he's reached his fullest potential he's now a well-rounded person and he expresses this to his parents and his parents respect his wish rather than fight and say no you can't marry her she's immortal or no you can't marry her or like in our regards you can't marry them because they're a man or they're not a member or something like that like their parents yeah. was like you know what this is love. Love is love. If this is what you want, we'll respect these wishes and we'll make it work for you to interact with us from the whatever is possible for, for gods at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a really touching scene. Like I think that everybody, you know, that is a queer identifying person, they go through this whole process and they have their chosen family, which is kind of Hercules's family at the beginning, but also at the end. <laughs> With the gods, because I think that Hercules is in a weird predicament with having two sets of families, because he has his his biological family plus his adoptive family. But both sides of the coin really just give him the courage to be himself and to be with the person that he loves, to find happiness, to find joy. And that to me is like so like inspiring and even though he doesn't go up to be a god, Zeus does decorate the sky with a image of Hercules over Thebes, I think is where they're at. And you hear people on the side going, oh, hey, that's Phil's boy. And Phil's like in the background and he's like, you did it, kid, you did it. And that to me is like such an awesome thing too because you have the people in your life that are championing you and that want you to be successful, whether you realize it or not. And Phil is that is that character for Hercules. He's that person leading Hercules to the end to help him and to guide him. And everyone needs that like guide in your life. And you know, maybe Hercules isn't with him when the success happens, but Phil finds out about it and sees it and and recognizes it. And he's proud of Hercules for choosing to do the right thing and and to become the person that he is. And that I think is really important too. Yes, definitely. And then Zeus leaves us with one last little, little morsel of knowledge. He says, a true hero isn't measured by the size of his strength, but by the strength of his heart. And I think that's a really great 
great thing to leave everybody with. And so we've reached the end of the movie. The only yeah. thing left, the only thing left to say is and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> oh yeah, in this fictitious Disney version, they do live happily ever after. <laughs> yes. Yes. At the Disney fight version. Yes. Yeah. I think before we get into kind of the wrap up of our show, I think it's a good time to take another short break. And welcome back from the break. And that was such an amazing discussion, Scott. I am more and more excited about this podcast because if you are looking for a certain perspective in these movies, you're going to find it. So I'm really excited that we were able to have this uh, conversation. So based on our conversation, what is your moral for this story? My moral of the story is if you dream it, you can do it, which is such a Disney philosophy, like on billboards, like around like the back cast areas. But truly, like, you know, Hercules set out to this mission to become a god and to get reacquainted with his family. And he was so determined and he had all the courage to go out and achieve this goal. And he maybe didn't end up with his exact dream, but I think it was the reality that came to him uh, that was the right thing for him uh, going on his hero's journey. And I think that's something that we all can identify with for sure. That was that was beautiful. Uh, my moral is basically just echoing uh, Zeus's final words of a true hero isn't measured by the size of his strength, but by the strength of his heart. And so that's just oh, kind yeah. of that's just kind of a reminder that uh, when all said and done after this life, whatever you believe happens after this life is we will be judged based on our character and our works and not what society deems as wrong. So we just need to keep reminding, we just need to keep reminding ourselves that we are worthy and the world's judgment isn't what matters. It's our own judgment and whatever spiritual being we find comfort in, it's what they think of us. And they think of us as their child, their creation, and all they want is the best for us. So just to remember that you come from a divine place, you are divine in your essence and to never lose sight of that. Yeah. Well, Dustin, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm so glad I got to talk about one of my favorite Disney movies with you and all of your viewers. Yes. Our listeners. listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, maybe it will turn into a, a, a TV show. But anyway, so that's fine. Oh, that'd uh, be but, fun. That'd be cool. Yeah. But thank you so much for being on it. And I guess the last thing we have to do is to just thank our listeners for listening to this and to remember that it's a world of hope. In the Holy House of Mouse. <laughs> See you real soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fairy Gospel. Fairy Gospel is a Love is Spoken Queer production and an unofficial Disney podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, send us an email to fairygospel at gmail.com or direct message on Instagram. We're at fairy underscore gospel. You can also find us on Facebook or Twitter by searching at fairy gospel. One word. Feel free to share the love by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and make sure you're subscribed while you're at it. Again, thanks for listening and we'll see you real soon.